The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is David Crabb. David is an author, performer, and storyteller living in Los Angeles. David shares his journey from goth kid to dog dad and how along the way he was lucky to find the person he was ready to spend his life with, even though they initially met at the wrong time. Hey, David, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Thanks so much for doing this. I know it was like a few months of coordinating in the making. I know, a lot of crazy stuff was happening. Uh, I was I was moving, and I think I just told you a minute ago, watching my nephew and moving our dog. So it's been crazy, and I'm very happy to do this podcast because I always talk about pain, and you're giving me the opportunity to talk about <laughs> love, which is going to be probably more painful than anything I've told, so it all works out. Yeah, you're getting both <laughs> things that you want in one, in one story. In one tasty, lifelike sandwich, yes. Yeah, there you yes. go. Yeah, so yeah. Where, where does your story start, or what's it about, or yeah, where do you want to begin? Well, yeah. Um, so I guess it kind of starts with um, many, 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 many years ago. Uh, scroll Star Trek titles. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was living in Brooklyn in I guess it was like 2000, uh, 2001, and I was kind of like part of like that second wave of like Williamsburg hipsters. Like when when Williamsburg in Brooklyn, which is now this like bustling, cool, fashionable, trendy like loft area, was really this kind of like barren warehouse party, um, uh, like weird rock shows in like an abandoned building by like uh, someone smeared in glitter with like a drum <laughs> machine. Like that was where I lived, and there was like two places to eat. And it was just not the Williamsburg it is now. And it was my dream when I moved there because, you know, I grew up as this like closeted queer kid in in Texas. And then in high school, I became a goth kid. And I found like, you know, um, my people that were just so happy to be sad together. Um, we wore like capes and dog collars and we were very dramatic and theatrical and so when I went to art school in college, I just kept dreaming of getting to New York, like like getting to like artsy, uh, uh, especially Club Kids. Club Kids was like a big part. Um, in the 90s, I grew up watching like Donahue and Sally Raphael where there were like grown men in platform shoes and diapers with nose rings. And I was like, those are my people. I got to <laughs> get to New York. But then when I, I got to New York, I felt like so much of it was being cool, like sort of seeming unbothered or not fascinated by anything, right? And in a weird way, some of that connected to, like, my goth roots. I was like, oh, I've done this before. <laughs> but but at the same time, like, it was just not exactly entirely what I expected. But very quickly, I kind of molded myself into the vibe. And then I sort of graduated to becoming, like, a full-blown hipster um, post-9-11, living in Williamsburg, you know, and like after 9-11, I felt like everyone was a little like freer and crazier and like the sex was easygoing, you know, everyone did kind of feel like they had this weird new lease on life, I feel like in New York in the months after 9-11. And I would go to like, um, like the, there was a bar uh, in Williamsburg, it was like the only gay bar there. It's called Metropolitan. And if you would have seen me, I would have looked like Oh, what a cool guy. I would have like been leaning on a jukebox, probably smoking a Marlboro Light, like sneering, right? Um, but inside, I was terrified of meeting anyone and having to be intimate. Um, 
I felt like I had moved to New York and I had all these dreams of being like a sexually free person and a creatively free person and just myself. And this thing, even as like a crazy goth kid and even as like a, a weird artist in college and grad school, I sort of had this whole like, the whole side of me that was about like sexuality and intimacy was just wildly underdeveloped. Um, I was like a baby and I had a lot of anxiety and fear about it. So what I would do is I would go to Metropolitan and I would lean against furniture, sneering at people while like peaches played from the speakers. Some boy would come up to me, right? Like the like the dream of a boy that I would have told you as a closeted kid in high school that I would have wanted to meet, right? Like some cute guy with cropped hair and like earrings and like a bomber jacket and combat boots. And he would make conversation and I would make conversation and then I would just start pounding liquid courage, which for me at that point was pretty much whiskey, just like whiskey on the rocks. <laughs> yeah. And I would drink and drink and drink until I was slurring. And then like, you know, you'd start leaning towards each other and it would get more and more intimate. And then I would literally every time I would say, I'm sorry, I have to use the bathroom. And then I would literally sneak out of the bar and run home, oftentimes crying with like the Smiths blaring in my headphones and just go home and be alone. It was like the saddest, saddest thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's going back again to you having that fantasy of New York, right? And you're like, this is what I want my life to be. But again, you're saying like, yeah, you just weren't there at like a maturity level to actually... Totally. To like totally in on that. But you're like, yeah, this is what I want my life to be. I'm just not ready for it yet. Exactly. Like I was in the right place. I was wearing the right costume. Uh, like everything was happening. And I... I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like, I, I really couldn't. And one night, uh, I was out with um, my friend, uh, Paolo, and we were out at this bar. And we were, like, one corner of the bar, and there was a pair of dudes on the other side of the bar. And both of the guys um, that were next to us were really cute. So, Paolo and I started talking about the guys. And the cool thing about going out with this friend of mine is that he was kind of, at that point, more repressed than me. He had come out later than me. So, it almost felt like by proxy, like, hey, I'm going to take you out, bruh. We're going to get yeah, laid. All of a sudden, and you I, became, like, the expert. Right. And I knew, I, was, I knew nothing. I was, like, so wet behind the ears. And I... We sat and we started talking to these guys. Now, they're both very sweet, and I could tell that Paolo liked one and I liked the other. So that was all working out, right, in classic yeah. wingman fashion. And this guy that I was talking to was really cute. He was like, uh, he had salt and pepper hair, this baby, baby face, these kind of hazel brown eyes. Um, but he was like so preppy, right? Like he was wearing like a little plaid shirt with the sleeves rolled up. He was freshly shaven. Uh, and it was funny that he had the salt and pepper hair because it was so like older and distinguished for this guy that seemed like a baby. And we were talking and having the nicest time. And then when we stood up to leave, he stood up and he kept standing up. Like I was going to be like, when are you going to get, when are you going to be finished getting tall? He was <laughs> six and a half feet tall. And I was like, whoa, you're tall. And he was like, no, nah, never heard that before. <laughs> so this was going great. <laughs> um, that night, we managed to, you know, we went out and had some drinks with the, these pair of guys. But we didn't like, you know, hook up or go home. Not that that was a thing. I'm saying that like that was a thing I did. But no. <laughs> so we said goodnight. We got their numbers. And then a few weeks later, we met again. And we went to this karaoke bar. And me and Jack were just Flirting, flirting, flirting. Jack was this tall drink of water's name. And I, liquid courage, liquid courage, liquid courage. And then he's like, hey, I live a few blocks away. Do you want to go home with me? And I went home with him. 
And when we got back to his place, I just kept drinking because I was so terrified. And then I woke up the next day. And who knows what happened? Something <laughs> sloppy and messy, and probably not rewarding for either of us. And was and that, that your was that your first time, like actually following through on like the flirting to going home with somebody? Well, no. I mean, it wasn't like I hadn't like it, you know. I mean, I had some like you know, like in high school, I like, quote unquote hooked up in college. It wasn't like I was a yeah, yeah. completely pure you know pillar of salt. But, but in your like kind of, New York scene, I guess. Yes, exactly. It was the first time that like. I kind of like met someone uh, and then like after only one or two more meetings, like went home with them. Right. Yeah. And that was how our relationship proceeded. We continued to sort of go out to the same bar, meet a few friends, get hammered and then just stumble home. I couldn't even remember getting home a lot. I can't tell you that I remember much about any level of like intimacy. I knew that I enjoyed talking with him and being with him, but I really couldn't tell you like what so much happened once we got home and for all the ways that I liked hanging out with Jack there was also this thing about him where he was completely in a way I thought like you were too young for me I had been in New York five years at that point the night that I had met Jack was his first week in New York after just graduating from Penn State University from the theater department so when we would hang out and talk I vibed him like at the core, you know, like the core of who he was. I really got like I enjoyed his company, but I was like drinking whiskey straight, talking about like the Criterion collection <laughs> and like, you know, curious if he'd seen these new prints by an artist downtown. And he was like just this sort of fresh face. Like he was kind of the me that I was five years earlier. Like, oh my gosh, y'all, there's the Empire State Building and those two guys are holding hands. Like it was all so kind of like amazing and it felt like it was just this huge chasm between us and for all the ways that I liked hanging out with him I kept feeling like this is so like not gonna work like he doesn't know any of my bands doesn't know any of my movies so this thing would happen where I just would break up with him or I would avoid him and we probably broke up like two times. One was like a major breakup. Like I, I called, I was like, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. And then the other time was like a casual, like I didn't return a call and we just didn't see each other. And this was all over the course of like six months. And I remember that one of the last times uh, we were hanging out before we broke up, we were talking and I was having this feeling that he didn't get any of my reference points and he wasn't quote unquote cool, whatever that meant. And, and I was like, so exhausted. I just said, dude, what's like your favorite band? And when I asked the question, I knew that there was really only one answer he could have that would literally send me like running for the hills. And then he proceeded to look in my eyes and answer with that answer and say, the Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> and the Dave Matthews Band, to any card-carrying lover of Susie and the Banshees or dark gothic art, I mean, there you couldn't pick an artist, I think, that's like less connected. And I just remember the moment he said that, just nodding and thinking, it's over. It's really over. I have to get out of this. And uh, like a week later, I was like, why don't you just... Um, uh, uh, meet me uh, for dinner. So I picked this vegan restaurant because I didn't want to like ruin the memory of anything good. Um, and we met at the vegan restaurant. Uh, cut to now, like I go through vegan phases all the time, but then I was like, these people are crazy. And <laughs> he met me at the vegan restaurant and I told him, you know, I, I really like pulled myself together and I explained what wasn't working. And he took it really great. There were no tears. And I remember outside of the restaurant, we like shook hands. It felt like very like formal and friendly, like I'm going to maintain a relationship with this person. And as he turned around and walked away, I remember it was like this 
this crazy feeling that's still really hard for me to like put my finger on. It was like, wow, I dodged a bullet. I had the courage to step up for what I wanted. And I'm, and I just got what I want. And as he walked away, literally the back end of that feeling was like, oh shit, I'm going to be alone forever. Because that was like a really pleasant, cool thing that I just sent running because of my own insecurities. And of course that thought wasn't that formed then, right? Because hindsight's 2020. Yeah. But I, but I remember feeling so alone on this like street corner in Brooklyn thinking like, what have I done? Like, this is the worst mistake. And, you know, I immediately went back to my like Williamsburg, like leaning on jukeboxes, sneering, smoking cigarettes and the same thing, right? Just like chain smoking, like, you know, uh, saying I have to use the bathroom, running away. And one night I was there and I was doing my thing and this guy came up to me and the same thing happened. So cute, leaning in, started talking. I told him I had to use the bathroom, was on the way out and he was there. And I was like, oh, and he said, are you leaving? Like I felt so busted. And I was like, uh, well, yeah, I, I'm sorry, it's not you, I just I just need to get home. And he's like, oh, do you live this way? And I was like, um, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and he's like, well, if you want, we could just split a car. Now, I'm hammered at this point, so because I did all my liquid courage in anticipation of being able to do something, but just once again, I could do nothing. And we hail a cab, and we're in the cab, and I don't know what happened because I was drunk. All I know was that within two minutes, we were literally sucking the life force out of each other's faces in the back of this cab. <laughs> and this uh, poor, I mean, we must have scarred this limo driver. I just remember his terrified eyes kind of staring at us in the rearview uh, mirror and like all the windows all fogged up. And as this is happening, I'm like kissing him, but in, you know, my back brain, I'm like, this can't happen. You, what, this is leading nowhere good. This isn't going to be comfortable for you. And I remember at one point we kiss and we look at each other. And as we're sitting still at this light, all of a sudden there's this loud, like crashing metallic glass sound. And it was almost like in slow motion, me and this dude, we kind of flew forward against that wall between the cab driver and the back seat. And... I remember everything kind of coming to a stop and the glass stopping shattering and kind of shaking my head. And I looked at him and he was looking at me and he was like, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And we looked behind us and this sports car had just rear-ended, like smashed into the back of the car. And he grabbed my hand and, and he was like, where do you live? And I looked up and literally we got in a car accident at the corner where the cabbie was dropping me off at my own apartment. And I was not going to let um, sort of the, the figure, you know, there was something about being rear-ended in front of my own apartment. I was like, this is a sign. I've got to like, <laughs> I've got to take this guy upstairs. And it was like, if you've ever had that thing where you have, where you're like, you're suddenly awake because of the adrenaline after any kind of like accident like that. And literally I was like not drunk and I knew what I was doing and I was full of bravery and I'd survived an accident and we, I grabbed the guy's hand and we, we left the cabbie arguing with these like two Polish dudes in the sports car <laughs> and we went upstairs to my apartment and it was like I was free. I hadn't felt that loose ever. I was just like, go into my bedroom, wait, for, I'll pour you a drink. Like, I, like I was some sort of really like sort of sexy, you know, like nightclub entertainer. It was just not me at all. It was just this car accident, I think, just kind of imbued me with this like crazy comfort. And I poured him a whiskey and I went inside my bedroom 
And when I opened the door to my bedroom, this guy was on my bed and he was like slung back and between his legs, he was holding my electric bass. Uh, I called my electric bass. It was this beautiful black and white Fender bass. I called her Betty. And uh, he was just kind of like strumming on her. And like, I looked at him and he just looked like so hot. Like his jeans were rolled up and his boots were up and he had his like bass. And even like, it was just so suggestive the way that he was like plucking the cords. And I was like, okay, I'm down for this. Yeah. Fear, fear be gone. This is it. It's going to happen. And I, uh, <laughs> I just got on the bed with him. We started making out and we were making out like no fear and I remember this thing happened where, you know, the bass was between us. And as he sort of finagled around me, he was frustrated and I was kind of laughing. But once he got it off the strap, he just pushed the bass really hard off the bed, like really hard. Like I heard it hit the wooden floor. And I kind of paused thinking, oh, well, that was a mistake or let me. And he sort of grabbed my wrist and he pushed me back down on the bed. And I was like, okay, that's. That's a little intense, but like, okay, it's fine. It's just a bass, whatever. And then he sort of was getting really like aggressive with me. And I was trying to sort of get into the vibe of that, right? Like, oh, it's a, you know, aggressive intimacy. That's, that's cool. And I looked over his shoulder at one point to my bedroom door and it's open, right? And my bedroom door opens to the hallway where all three of my polyamorous, bisexual, heterosexual roommates will come through to use the bathroom. So I say, hey, let me get up and shut the door. And when I go get him and shut the door, he pushes me down hard, like in a way that's not cool or sexy. And I'm laying under this guy and, you know, he's, he's a little bigger than me. I'm not like a very large person. And I'm sort of thinking, oh, this is what all that fear was about. Like, this is what all that anxiety I've kind of always had. Or, or or negativity around intimacy, you know, is about, is this moment, and here I am. And, you know, I couldn't help but think of, like, those, like, 80s, like, I couldn't help think, like, Oprah Winfrey would always do her thing about, like, don't go to the second location. Like, she had yeah. all her, like, warnings of what to do when you're with a pervert, and then I kept, you know, or, like, a, a murderer or a rapist or whatever, and I kept thinking of all those things, and I, and it was weird because, like, this thing in me, you know, when you hear about that, you always hear about, um, like, a woman will be like, you know, the guy was in the middle of the forest with a van with no windows in the fog in the dead of night, and I knew it was dangerous, but he needed help moving a couch. Like, they always have that kind of, like, you know, what was I supposed to do? And it was so weird because my mindset under this guy was one of fear, but there was also this, like, very kind of, like, Pollyanna, very polite. Like, I kept thinking, I need to shut that door because none of my roommates should have to witness this. It's just bad. Bad roommate. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this yeah, is just yeah. rude. And when I went to try and get up again, he pushed me down and I it it triggered me so intensely that I racked him really hard. I just like brought my knee up between his legs and he like howled and he got up off me. And when he looked at me, it was like a shutter clicked. Like he had been really like drunk and into it. And you know, much like the car crash had made me sort of this like loose, easygoing, let's just do this. Me racking him did the same thing for him, but not towards like comfort and like sexiness. Like for him, it was like, oh my God. And he just started saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he started like picking up all his clothes and gathering them. And like, even me, like I was, I was talking to him like, uh, no, it's cool. N no big deal. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Like we were both just like, cordially but really quickly expediting his departure from my house and 
he got up all his clothes and he left. And we literally like, I'll see you at Metropolitan, like the weirdest exchange, right? And then the door shut and I sat on my bed and it was so weird. It was like such a similar but very different version of that feeling I'd had with Jack outside that cafe that day. It was kind of like, oh man, like I'm alone again, feeling like I need this thing, this kind of intimacy. Was was that better than what I, than than what I would have had? And over those next few weeks, as I was sort of thinking a lot and feeling lonely and not going out as much, I also was getting uh, sick uh, in a way that I didn't understand. Um, I was having a lot of problems in the bathroom. Uh, I was dropping weight really, really quickly. Because I was like in my 20s in Williamsburg, I just figured, hey, I'm drinking too much. So I didn't change any behavior. And actually, I was probably drinking a little bit more. And I probably dropped like 10 to 15 pounds over the course of the next month and just didn't think anything of it. Um, And one day I woke up and I was really sick. And I knew I had to go to the emergency room because I was passing a lot of blood. And I always remember that morning when I went out, (laughs) I went out stumbling, dizzy from being so sick. And when I walked to the bus stop in front of my apartment, the devil was there. And when I say the devil, there was literally Satan. Um, He was in this red cape. He had red horns. He was holding this like huge pitchfork. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? How sick am I? When all these little kids dressed as goats with like (laughs) jack-o'-lantern buckets ran by. And I was like, oh shit, I am so sick. I've been holed up in my house for so many days on the toilet. It's Halloween. So I proceeded to go to the emergency room in New York on Halloween, which is a lot of fun where they booked me into a room and they I was hospitalized for a week with something called uh, Crohn's disease, which I didn't know that I had and I was diagnosed with, which was basically going to be like a real change in my life um, because I was going to have to maintain a lot of drugs. I was going to have to watch certain elements of things I ate. You know, they didn't tell me to quit drinking, but I certainly couldn't live the way that I had been living. And... Um, you know, when I was really sick for just a little while in that time, um, Jack actually would deliver like things to uh, my house. Um, like one time, uh, Jack left soup at the door. And when I came home, my roommate was like, this was at the door with a note from Jack. And like everyone loved Jack, like everyone that ever met Jack loved him. And I would eat the soup and I would be like, well, I'm going to the soup is great, but I'm going to be alone. and I'm going to get better. I don't need Jack. And Jack probably visited me after I was sick, maybe like without really seeing me like three or four times. We might have seen each other in passing. But the last time he left this CD um, and uh, it was by this folk singer. And on the cover of the CD, it's this blonde woman. She looks like she literally should be in Lederhosen. And she's spinning around on the top of this grassy field. It's very like Sound of Music. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were describing this. (laughs) And her name is Ava Cassidy. And... Uh, I put the CD in and it was just so like, it was exactly like what this guy would have given me. It was like entering Dave Matthews band. Do you know what I mean? Or like not knowing what the Criterion Collection is. It was just like the prettiest folksy music. I remember I listened to like three songs and I was like, oh my God. And I ejected it and I put back in like <laughs> Pet Shop Boys or The Killers or whatever I was listening to. And um, and over the next um, over the next little bit, um, 
when I say a little bit, really the next few months, the next few, the next year, my life really changed a lot. Um, I didn't see Jack. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really see anyone. I moved to the East Village. Um, I got a job at a bar and I became kind of addicted to going to the gym. I moved next to a dolphin gym. So I just kind of got really, I wasn't like the picture of health. I still drank and I still partied, but I treated myself better and I was on a regimen and I worked out like almost every day. And I don't know, I guess I sort of tamed myself a bit from the person that I was um, that year earlier. And one night, uh, I went back to Brooklyn to visit a friend, and he wanted to take me out for my birthday. So we went up for my birthday, and uh, we were um, hanging out, and I looked up, and we're in this restaurant, and I see Jack. Now, Jack, like I said, I had seen him about a year and a half earlier, probably in baby face, you know, nice little haircut, cute little rolled up plaid shirts. And this was like Jack New Yorkified. Um, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. He had almost kind of like a super, like very quick fade along the side of his head. His hair was kind of punky. And he was wearing these really torn denim jeans and this very cool like Brad Pitt in Fight Club, like vinyl jacket. And I saw him and I was like, hi. <laughs> uh, and he saw me and he was like, oh, hi. I was like, he's like, your body looks different. And I was like, yeah, I, I work out. I, you know, I got really sick. And he's like, yeah, I know. And and he said, yeah, I, I was like, yeah, I know, you know. Um, and I was like, look, you know, I'm having dinner here. And hilariously, he was having dinner with Paolo, the friend that I was the pair of the first night we met. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, I, and I was like... Um, I was like, oh, it was good seeing you. And on the way out, because they finished first, he was like, hey, Metropolitan, the bar, our old haunt, is right around the corner. Do you want to meet for a drink? And I said, sure. Cut to three hours later. Jack and I are shit-faced. We are making out so hard on the back patio of this place where we have gotten drunk and made out so many times before until we stumble home and literally pass out in a pull-out sofa. And it's like, oh, it's like we're back here. And in the middle of making out, Jack stops me and he says, hey, I don't want to do this with you. And I was like, oh, fine. I think I was probably slurring like ass. And he was like, no, no. He's like, I don't mean like, I don't want to see you or I don't like you. I just don't want to do this this way. I think that we should go home. And I think that it would be nice if we made a day date. And I was like, what do you mean a day date? And he's like, let's like go out sometime in the next week for lunch. Like and not drink and just like hang out. And I said, uh, okay. So he was a bartender. I was a bartender. We kind of looked at our schedules, like in you know, our calendar. And I was like, I don't know. Do you want to go out next Tuesday? And he was like, sure, next Tuesday. And I was like, I worked till late the night before. Let's late lunch, like one. Okay, cool, at one. So we kiss goodnight. Next few days go by. And then Tuesday comes along. And, you know, I worked the night before. And when, I, when you close a bar in New York, that means you see the sunrise. Like you, you do last call at 4 a.m., you close the bar, you get home at 6, 6.30. So I wake up at like 12.30 and I'm hauling ass to get to this restaurant on Avenue B to meet Jack. And uh, I go and I get to the restaurant. As I walk up, I see Jack. And I remember this is such a weird thing to notice, but he was so... Uh, he was always so sweet and gentlemanly. He'd always had flowers, and I always thought of him with his soup and, like, making me CDs and things. And he was just there with nothing, just smoking a cigarette. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, I remember clocking that, you know what I mean? There was something really awesome about not having flowers or a gift or soup. <laughs> and when I walk up to him, we, like, shook hands. We hugged each other. And, you know, we were very excited to have our, you know, platonic dudes hanging out, really getting to know each other without alcohol date. And... 
We walked into the restaurant, and no one was there yet in this little hole in the wall for lunch. And I remember looking around and realizing that there were like all of these little pink, it was like pink confetti all over the tables. And then I looked and realized there were these little like construction paper hearts hanging from the ceiling. And Jack and I are kind of taking it in when the waitress walks up to us and she cocks her head to the side the way that straight girls do when they see a gay couple. And she has all these menus that are pink in her hand. And she looks at us and says, oh, my God, you guys, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) And we had totally, both of us not realizing it, made our like platonic dude hangout date for Valentine's Day. And we got a little table at the restaurant and we laughed about it. And we had coffee and we hung out for like two or three hours just just talking and getting to know each other. And it was weird. It was kind of like if I had been turned up to like 10 before, the last year or so had forced me to kind of turn down to five. And if he was at a zero, it was like he had kind of had the opposite experience. It wasn't about like turning down or muting. It was about like exploring the city and going on dates and you know, learning about the place you live in. And he had kind of turned up to five. It was almost like we'd had this amount of time to kind of like meet each other. And it was so different being with him that day. And it was different with him being with him the next day and the next day and the next night, because it did kind of become those things, that thing where we were just on like an everyday date with each other. Um, And uh, to this day, even though we didn't get married until 2015, we still consider Valentine's Day our anniversary because that was, my gosh, uh, 17 years ago. Um, And uh, we've been together ever since then. Yeah, I mean, that's very sweet. Um, Yeah, like the first, I mean, it just feels so much like uh, the, the big element of it all is kind of that like timing thing, as you were kind of saying, right? Of like, yeah you being this like oh i'm a new yorker now and i'm living this life and i love that like going back to that dave matthews comment right of like having so much like judgment for that and i like remember when i was at that point in my life too where i was like oh i want whoever i'm with to like like the same things as me and be into the cool stuff that i'm into right yeah, and I think at the expense sometimes of not discovering new stuff. Yeah, even. and I think yeah. it's like I mean this is like one of my big issues with the idea of like online dating is you're you're looking for people based on that criteria, right? Like, oh, they're right. into this thing and this thing and this thing. When you're not thinking about like, oh, how are we just gonna like spark with each other? And it feels like yeah. that first moment was you being like oh, well, yeah, there's a spark here, but we'll never work because, like, we're not into the same stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I think, like, that idea that he was able to kind of, like, experience the city and grow up a little bit and figure himself out as you're kind of dealing with your new thing through your health stuff and kind of, like, taking a look at where you're at. It's great. Yeah, it's, like, such a... I always think of timing as such a big role in why relationships work and don't, and it's... It's great that you got an extra chance with timing. Like it's that you came back yeah. into each other's lives, right? I think the timing thing is is tricky because, you know, certain people certain people might have been like me and Jack, been together and had that year and a half off, but in that year and a half that one of you is gonna find someone else who's right for them, you know? So it just kind of works that way. And and you know, as much as it's about 
the way that we both like met at five, like turned up, turned down. There's also like, you know, still it's funny. I, I've told stories, both of those stories about that weird night with that guy and about meeting Jack for so long. And, you know, I've realized, especially in the last two years, you know, which were really are like, you know, 13, you know, 14th, 15th, 16th year together, whatever. I've realized that we do have these intrinsic differences like that Dave Matthews thing is kind of a joke about the way that people's taste can be really different. Yeah. But I also think it really speaks to the kinds of people we are. Um, you know, we, um, we moved to Los Angeles in early, early 2016. We kind of had this whirlwind year. Like my first book came out in 2015. We got married a few months later, but not before I had to be emergency hospitalized with some appendix Crohn's thing. And then in January, we moved to Los Angeles and it was just like a lot of stuff. And um, throughout it all, we had our, our little dog, Charlie, who we got together, I want to say in 2012. And he's this little Jack Russell Chihuahua with an errant like Martin Scorsese eyebrow over <laughs> one of his eyes. And um, he's just this cool little dude. And, um, you know, I always love dogs, but he's our first like adult pet. And he got really sick at the beginning of 2018. And, you know, I... I think it, it was interesting because I think I had thought before Jack and I went through a lot of that together that we had been through so much together. I was like, God, we've got a decade in, you know, like what else? It's almost like I think in a relationship you can sometimes think, oh, well, what else could we possibly have to learn from or about each other? Because it's been so long. This is just stasis now. And I'm fine with that. Right. Like just coasting. Yeah. You're just living this life together that you've learned about and you're like this is great i'm happy to just keep doing this with this person yeah yeah and and i think what was interesting is you know right at the beginning of 2018 um our dog started having um, um seizures and and lots of of health issues and it was right around the same time that um my my husband jack and his his sister and her son our nephew leo moved here and it was really cool to have all four of them here as a family but it also hit right as our dog got sick so it was like me and jack's life together suddenly was drastically different um it wasn't just the two of us it was like his family was here too and we had this this network of people that i mean even for me after this time i, mean, I think of claire as like my sister and leo is like my real nephew and to be going through suddenly having a family here and going back and forth from like veterinary specialist and cancer clinics. Um, what we found out Charlie uh, had was a brain tumor. And, you know, we don't make a lot of money. We, you know, I, I'm a teacher and a performer and my husband's an, an actor and a piano teacher. And we were really struggling to make it work. And all of a sudden, you know, we were checking this dog into this hospital for a week or sometimes two weeks at a time um, because my work is all freelance. I just didn't take work. Right. So we started pulling out rainy day credit cards um, just to live on, but also just to pay for treatment. And when I say that we spent a lot of money on trying to save Charlie, we literally spent like tens and tens of thousands of dollars that, that we didn't have. And, you know, to say that that stuff puts a strain on a relationship is an understatement. And, you know, I've always felt like I'm the super like type A organized planner one in the relationship. Um, I would get so mad at him during that time if his ringer wasn't always on. My ringer was always on all night. I not only wasn't getting a good night's sleep because I was waiting for a terrible call, but I was also just getting all the updates and notifications that would annoy the hell out of me just because I didn't turn my ringer off. And one night we got a call that Charlie was 
probably not going to make it. And I was in the backyard with Jack and he was crying. And, you know, I'm the storyteller who never shuts up about things. And I feel like I have been crying since I saw E.T. when I was six. I love crying. Sign me up. It feels good. (laughs) I want all the tears. But I had never cried so much in a way that like felt terrible for so many days on end. It was it it was like a hopeless kind of crying. It wasn't about a revelation or a discovery or like the a joyful possibility. It was just about like pain and the probability of loss. And this one night in the backyard when Jack was crying, really really hard. Um, I kept trying to ask him. I kept trying to say like you know, what's wrong with you? And and it's absurd that I say that now because what's wrong with him is like our dog was dying and it was hard on him, but I was so used to like me being that kind of um, agitated, emotional person. And he said this thing to me and I, I think about it all the time in other situations. He looked at me and he said, it just never occurred to me until right now that he might not make it. And it was so weird because I didn't say this to him then, but what I... What I thought the moment he said that is, wow, I have never thought throughout any of this that he would. And it was such a weird kind of like yin and yang way to think about us. Like for all the ways you you talk about your relationship being about how you have to have all the stuff in common. I think you have to have all these things to even each other out. And like, I think my, I think his hopefulness and like refusal to give in to that kind of darkness kept us both afloat while my like constant maybe like anally retentive like paying attention to like the the all the tests and I'll be there and I won't take a job right now and I'll go like that's part of that's the flip side of why we got through it yeah you both had your jobs in that scenario and the way that you're both kind of wired suited well to overlap and kind of both have your own things that you're bringing to that trauma. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and even in even in the end of that, you know, Jack and I have been talking a lot how this last year has been really transitional for us, which is a weird thing to say, I think, because like I said, you've been together X amount of time. How much can change? And, you know, I think we're technically now from really being together at 15 years. And it's funny to have been in year 14 and 15 and have so much change like we've talked about this as being a kind of like reset for us um and i think a lot of people you know uh, you know some people maybe haven't had pets and when i talk about losing a dog and how it uproots your life they they might not get it and then other people i talk about and they're like oh my god i totally get it and you know even in the end for jack and i you know we unfortunately we couldn't save our our little dog we tried for months and months and months and at one point, another doctor had an idea, and this doctor had this idea about like one more dose of remit of of this one drug to get him overnight, and then overnight they could just get the, make the seizure stop. And you know when he when the doctor told us this idea, sorry, um, I remember thinking like I, I I was outside in the lobby when I talked to the doctor, and I ran back into Jack, and I said, ah, you know, this is it this is a, it's going to be okay after all. And Jack looked at me and he was like, babe, like we can't. And I remember looking at him like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And he just gestured down to the floor because, you know, Charlie was on this little mat. They'd brought him with all these blankets and he was hooked up to a thousand machines and he was shaved in four different spots and he had bells on him. And it had been months of this, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, 
I'm only really thinking about this even in relation to what we've talked about now, but like for all the ways that I, this whole story I kind of was telling to <laughs> talk about the ways that like, you know, Jack is hopeful and uplifting and buoyant and I'm like pragmatic and I want the data and things need to happen. Like in the end, I'm all, I will always be thankful to him because, you know, that was really why I was able to let go that day because I could have really put us and I think Charlie through a lot more and it was really over. Um, and it really took him that day being like, really look at him, David, and, and think about like where we're at and what he's been through. And, and it was hard, you know, I mean, we, we had to say goodbye. And like I said, that was, you know, a year and God, almost a year and a half ago. And we've been kind of in a weird, kind of weird, cool, but like reset transitional mode in our lives since then. Um, that's been really wonderful, but it's funny to think back about that day in that room and be like, ah, oh, wow, it took like, <laughs> It took the kind of dreamy, optimistic one to be like, nope. Yeah, like you guys had to stop. switch roles in order to realize <laughs> what needed to happen in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Even thinking back to the beginning of that story when you were first like initially um, broke up and how you were like, this is just never going to work. And yeah. ha- going into that place of like that, not like the, but the pragmatic, right? Like that pragmatic you in that moment years ago when you first met each other you were still that person and it feels like Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know all the in-betweens from you guys meeting up again but just that when like when you were getting sick uh him coming and bringing soup and dropping it off like still having maybe not optimism that you get together but just like the the awareness that this that you're an important person in this in his life and yeah and kind of it's it's like those roles still exist now 15 years later yeah um it is i mean i i do think that there's you know people always talk about like who carries the weight in a relationship but it's not really like one person carries the weight it's just everyone is people are better with different kinds of weight yeah it's like you might have these roles that sort of exist on the outside or may exist 80% of the time in you but you're still finding moments where you're becoming this other thing when it's needed, especially in the yeah. dynamic of like a, a couple and a, and like a partnership. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We have a, we have a, another crazy mutt now who's sleeping behind me. who's adorable. <laughs> and hilariously, I totally did not mean to record this with you and have it be so like dog loss, tra- like heavy, but like <laughs> today is the one year anniversary of, uh, well, they call this in the rescue community community, the gotcha day. Uh, today's the one, one year ago today we got Frankie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Who's uh, our new child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's really cool. I think it's a feels like a good place to end it on. Oh, great, um, great. Yeah, I, I, if people like want to find out more about like what you do or want to check you out online, or do you have anything you want to plug? Oh yeah, I'm on all the things at uh, at the David Crab, uh, but I like to emphasize it like the because that sounds more casual. Uh, just the <laughs> David Crab, one of them. Um, and uh, yeah, and in LA, I host Risk Storytelling every month. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's all I got right now. And I tell stories a lot. You can find my schedule and stuff on my Twitter or my Instagram or anywhere else. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. It was so awesome talking to you, Brian. This is how we love.
Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin. And this is Love Hurts.